Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. My name is Nate Thurston, and I am by myself today. If this is your first time listening, just know that uh, most of the time over the last few years or a couple of years, there's myself and Charlie, who I've been best friends with for like 17 years now, and we do the news. That's that's what we do. Today, I'm doing the news by myself and along with everyone who is in the private Discord chat right now. So thanks to everyone who is watching live, hanging out with me. I'm going to try and read what you guys are saying and talk and read other stuff on the screen right here at the same time. And it's all going to go perfectly. So thanks for hanging out in there. If you want to be part of that, you can go join up our uh, on our locals community, goodmorningliberty.locals.com com for as little as five bucks a month that will get you access to our discord and the locals community and behind the scenes videos like the ones that i just put out today showing how much of an insane mess our new office is at the moment it'll look better sometime i promise it'll it'll look way better i don't know if any of you guys saw that on there but it's a gall darn mess and i put on there that you got to bring your brooms because it's a mess so if you don't want to hear a personal story i'll just tell you to skip ahead a couple minutes but charlie's obviously been really busy with everything i've been really busy with everything trying to get the new office set up and we're going to keep pushing through this because these things are very important i just got to tell you that that what we talk about every day is extremely important and it seems to grow in importance every day because things kind of just keep getting worse and worse on the political front but that's what you got to do you just got to persevere you got to push through those things um the last couple months have been I, I was telling my wife last night, the last couple of months have been the most stressful uh, of my life from what I can remember, other than when I was uh, when I was flipping houses with a friend and our little company kind of overbooked and we had eight houses that we were working on at one time. And that got really busy. I, I was pretty stressed at that time, I would say. But the last couple of months and going into the next couple of weeks, overall most stressful. There's been a lot there's been a lot of stuff going on with the lead up to Freedom Fest, which I was really nervous about and and kind of busy with ordering things so we could have everything we needed, getting everything set up, interviewing all the great people that we interviewed. That was stressful. Sick with COVID for about three weeks, really. That led to me not doing as much stuff for the trading class and for people that are Patreon supporters, which makes me very stressed out as well when I'm not able to do that. Charlie's gone in Italy for a couple weeks and then we're getting a new office at the same time. My brother has got a new baby who's going to be here pretty soon. I've got a friend uh, who, unfortunately, her uh, father is uh, is about to pass from COVID, and I'm going to be going to a funeral for that. Uh, really, really terrible. Just remember that things can be a lot worse. Have some gratitude in your life for sure. And so I'm going to be doing um, going to be doing that this weekend, and I'm going to be guest hosting a radio show that's broadcast all over Tennessee that's going to be playing on Monday, and we have to give a speech for this thing coming up in Nashville about a topic that we don't exactly talk about very much, and at the same time, my wife's entire family is coming to stay at our house over the weekend, and we had to redo a new bedroom for that, including get a new bed, new furniture, doing all of that, and it has just been an insanely stressful time, okay? But that's how important all of this is. This is uh, this is 
I don't want to use the life or death thing, but really when we're talking economics, when we're talking COVID, these are very important issues and we've got to get the right information out there to the people. So that's why you just got to keep going. You got to remember what your why is every day. Why am I doing this? Why am I spending all this time and, and all this money, these resources doing this? And that's because these things are very important. And uh, I hope that you guys will share that and also remember what your why is every day so you can make it through all the things that you're going through. So I was having a conversation, you know, we're going to see this, uh, we're, we're going to go see the new baby when the new baby gets home. And uh, I'll be going up to Illinois to do that. And, and we were talking, I was talking to my wife, well, should you be worried about, we're unvaccinated, do we want to go be around all these people? And do we want to go see the new baby? We want to potentially get my sister-in-law sick or the new baby sick, something like that. And it really just got me thinking when it came to that, well, is it actually that much different if I'm unvaccinated or vaccinated? According to all the data that we have right now, vaccinated people have just as much of a viral load as unvaccinated people that are infected. Now there's one caveat to that, which is that you're less likely to get infected with the virus if you are vaccinated. It's a little bit, it's a little bit better, uh, their protection from the overall infection. And so I was just going to read a little bit from a study talking about this, about how uh, you do still carry the same viral load. And really the idea behind this is this pandemic of the unvaccinated. Now that can mean a couple different things. It can mean that most of the people who are sick and who are dying are unvaccinated. And what I've also heard at the same time is there's a vaccinated person that's dying and they did their part. And it's these Galdern unvaccinated people that that's how they got sick, by the way, uh, was because they went out there in public and they were around an unvaccinated person. And that's why this person ended up getting sick. That argument is not correct because people who are vaccinated can still carry just as much of the virus as people who are unvaccinated, which is why the CDC ended up coming out and recommending that vaccinated people wear masks. And we'll talk about that here in, a, here in a second. But this comes from medical news today, and I found a lot of studies once again showing this. It's not just the one CDC study in, uh, in oh, where was it? It was in Boston, I believe, that they, that they studied maybe 900 people. But anyway, the COVID-19 infection survey regularly tests a random sample of people in the United Kingdom for SARS-CoV-2. Researchers have analyzed the study data taken before and after the Delta variant became dominant. The researchers found that vaccinated people with the Delta variant could have a viral load similar to those who had not received vaccination. Researchers found that both unvaccinated and vaccinated people who had contracted SARS-CoV-2 Delta variant had similar peak levels of the virus. The scientists showed that people who had had two doses of the vaccination, this is an interesting thing, I don't know if they meant to put this in here, um, the scientists showed that people who had two doses of the vaccination had at least as much protection against the virus as people who had antibodies after having COVID-19. Mm, so they're saying, hey, the vaccination gives you at least as much protection as natural immunity does. People who had developed antibodies after having the disease and received both vaccinations had even better protection. They had to do that so they didn't get that that um, missing context thing that we were talking about yesterday. A uh, quote from one of the professors in the study, we don't yet know how much transmission can happen from people who get COVID-19 after being vaccinated. For example, they might have high levels of virus for shorter periods of time. So that's another thing we'll add in now. Now, doesn't this idea, the reason I'm bringing this up is because if you went somewhere and say a vaccinated person gets sick, well, it was obviously your fault, right? 
because you're the you're the unvaccinated person that's there. Uh, that so so it's your fault. Everyone is going to know that it's you, and it's all going to be blamed on you because you went there and got them sick. And according to the science, if you're going to follow the science on it, because I found several studies that had tested viral loads for people who were vaccinated, uh, that's not. It's not true. People who are vaccinated could also be carrying the virus just as much as people who are unvaccinated. So if you go somewhere and say a vaccinated person's up getting sick and you're the unvaccinated person there and they blame it on you, you can say, hey, actually, let me pull some of these resources from episode 539 of Good Morning Liberty. And you can see that people who are vaccinated also could have gotten you sick. I just think that that's something important to note. Now, doesn't this cut against the argument of saying that once you're vaccinated, you should go back to normal life. Because what I'm saying right now is vaccinated people can still get other people sick. So obviously everyone has to be forced to wear masks and not go in public. It doesn't go against the argument because that's not the argument. The argument isn't that once you've decreased all your risks of being dangerous to other people accidentally, that you should be allowed to have freedom. That's not what the argument is. The argument is that you are a human being and that you were born free and that you should be able to make your own decisions and other people are going to make their own decisions as well when they decide to go and be around other people they are taking that risk and knowing that they could get sick just as we always have been taking that risk so if you were making the argument based on the fact that people shouldn't be allowed to do anything unless there's no risk in anyone's lives then it would cut against that argument but if your argument is that people are free human beings then no it doesn't go against that argument Listen up, everyone. Are you paying attention to what's happening with Bitcoin and digital currencies? Smart money investors are buying, trading, and holding cryptocurrencies with their retirement accounts while not worrying about taxes. Everyone, pay attention here. They're holding crypto in their retirement accounts and not worrying about taxes, okay? Just recently in the news, we saw Visa reports that more than $1 billion worth of crypto was spent by consumers globally on goods and services through their crypto link cards in the first six months of 2021. You can see by the headlines each week, crypto is becoming more and more integrated into our daily lives. The smartest investors are investing with their IRA or 401k retirement account. The easiest way to do that is I trust Capital, the number one crypto IRA and 401k platform in America. iTrust Capital has over $1 billion worth of assets under management from thousands of happy account holders. All iTrust retirement accounts allow you to invest and trade your crypto and gold tax-free on their 24-7 platform. If you have an existing IRA or the retirement account, like a 401k, you can roll those over with no penalty or taxes. iTrust Capital makes investing in crypto safe and easy. You can log into your account 24-7 and invest at the push of a button. Now crypto can be traded as easily as stocks. No private keys or complex processes. iTrust Capital also makes investing in physical gold and silver easy. iTrust uses a blockchain ledger that gives you digital ownership of physical gold held at the Royal Canadian Mint. This is not a security, derivative, future, or other financial contract. This is fully backed by physical gold that is deliverable upon request. And the best part, iTrust Capital has low transparent pricing that's 90% cheaper than comparable options. Go to itrustcapital.com and use the promo code LIBERTY. You will get your first month free and a free crypto IRA and gold IRA investors guide. So once more, go to itrustcapital.com, use that promo code LIBERTY for your first month free and receive 
their crypto and IRA gold IRA investors guide at no cost. Rand Paul is out there in the news again with Dr. Fauci, and this is going to be this is going to be uh, an interesting story as this goes on. I don't know if you remember from a little bit ago. I don't know if you remember, but this whole thing went on where Rand Paul was asking Fauci if he was going to take back some of his statements because it was a crime to lie to Congress. He says, no, I'm not lying to Congress. We did not fund gain-of-function research. That did not happen. And then he finished it up with, frankly, you don't know what you're talking about. I just want to be on the record. You don't know what you're talking about. That right there. So this is from Yahoo. Rand Paul says Fauci lied again after release of documents on Wuhan coronavirus research. Now, the story from Yahoo is not that this research came out and it seems to prove that we did, in fact, pay for the research that was going on there, some of it, at least. That's not the story. The story is that Rand Paul says Fauci lied again, okay? Senator Rand Paul said newly disclosed documents providing fresh details on the extent of U.S. funding of coronavirus research in China lends credence to his assertions that Dr. Anthony Fauci lied in testimony before Congress. The Kentucky Republican who, who referred President Joe Biden's chief medical advisor to the Justice Department for allegedly lying to a Senate committee by denying the National Institutes of Health funded gain-of-function research at a lab in Wuhan reacted to information published on Monday by The Intercept following a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit. Paul said, surprise, surprise, Fauci lied again, and I was right about his agency funding novel coronavirus research at Wuhan. The 900 pages of records obtained by the news outlet address the work of EcoHealth Alliance, a U.S.-based nonprofit group that received federal grant money toward bat coronavirus research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Quote, the bat coronavirus grant provided EcoHealth Alliance with a total of $3.1 million, including $600,000 that the Wuhan Institute of Virology used in part to identify and alter bat coronaviruses likely to infect humans. This comes after Fauci and Paul, and I already told you about all of their sparring that went back and forth beforehand. Why does this matter? Like, why, why would we care about this? That's what some people would say. Like, oh, I don't care. Well, it really should matter because what they did was they took your money and then they put it towards research that was going on in another country that potentially leaked out of that lab and then killed millions of people. And so wouldn't we want to know if that's what happened? Wouldn't we want to know if we were funding the gain-of-function research because this was not something that uh, was naturally occurring in humans. This is something that they found in bats. And, and of course, Fauci was saying, no, that's not gain-of-function. He wasn't even saying that they weren't doing that research. He was saying that's not gain-of-function. When you take something that only occurs in animals and then you, you mess with it so much so that you can get it to work in humans, that's not gain-of-function. That's, that's not what that is. And so this is, I'm just saying it's going to be an interesting story to see how this plays out. Are they actually going to try to get Fauci for lying to Congress? I don't know. I don't know if that's going to happen. It's possible. Uh, the more important thing is I don't like how— uh, the main thing I don't like about this is how Fauci's just saying this isn't gain-of-function research. What they're going to try and do is they're going to change the definition of something. They're going to literally do gain-of-function research, and then afterwards they're going to say, oh, we don't, we don't call that gain-of-function. Since it wasn't officially on a piece of paper call that said gain-of-function research, uh, then it wasn't gain-of-function. But don't things have definitions? Uh, doesn't that matter? I don't like this completely subjective world that we live in. 
And so what I want to see is for the truth to come out, did your tax dollars go to changing a virus in China that eventually leaked out of that lab somehow and then killed millions of people? Maybe we should know. Maybe we shouldn't trust the government with, uh, with all of those terrible things. So let's pay attention to this and see if anything else comes out of it. I know one thing we will get for sure is that uh, there, there's going to be some, some more fun back and forth between Fauci and Paul. And I think that's enough to at least look forward to. So I don't know if you've been following this story with what Glenn Beck has been doing in Afghanistan. You guys know about the Afghanistan thing. There were a lot of Americans left behind, a lot of other people left behind that wanted to leave. We left with those people still there. A very abnormal thing for the military to do, I would say, is leaving people behind. But <clears throat> so Glimbeck raised, I believe, $35 million through his charity and his uh, Mercury One and all that through listeners of the show and and other people that to to charter planes and go there and pick people up in Afghanistan and take them home. Okay. So that's pretty cool. First off, just on its head. That's cool. Doesn't matter what you think about Glenn Beck. It, what if he's only doing it for political reasons to point out this terrible thing that Joe Biden did? I don't know that still uh, still good things are coming out of it. And we're still using voluntarily given money to go there and help people. And I think that that's something that needs to be pointed out, that people came together, that they shipped in $35 million, and Beck has been able to rescue quite a few people. Now, on Monday, I believe the story came out that the Taliban was holding hostage uh, six planes that were chartered by Glenn Beck to rescue Americans. And so the, the thing was that these planes were not allowed to take off, that the Taliban was holding them, and the people were going to end up having terrible things done to them, of course. And then it comes out today. Now, this comes from Glenn Beck. This comes from The Blaze. And you can trust it if you want to. You cannot trust it if you don't want to. So my, my report on this will be what Glenn Beck is saying about the issue. And this is, in fact, what Glenn Beck is saying about the issue. So this is from The Blaze. The Biden administration stopped planes chartered by Glenn Beck Charity from taking off and then handed the manifest over to the Taliban. Now that is from the blaze, and that is a very different story. And once again, um, I'm just, I'm just going to say, uh, I don't know if you should trust everything that Glenn Beck says all the time. Does he, seem like a real, does he seem like a good guy? He does seem like a good guy. Does he over-sensationalize some things in effort to make the, the left or the Biden administration or Democratic administrations look worse? I, I do think that he does. Would he come out and just straight up lie about something? I, I don't really think, I, I don't really see him as someone who would do that, but I, I don't know him. So uh, the U.S. State Department is responsible for interfering with the departure of several planes holding American citizens and Afghan nationals uh, at the airport, the Mazar-i-Sharif airport. We'll just say that. Blaze TV host Glenn Beck reported on air during his radio show, on Tuesday, the planes, which held at least 100 American citizens and 1,000 Afghan nationals, were chartered by Mercury One and the Nazarene Fund, a charity founded by Beck aimed at facilitating evacuation from Afghanistan amid the U.S. military's withdrawal and the Taliban's takeover of the country. One thing I will uh, say is that at first they were there to get Christians out of there because they were worried that they were all going to be killed. 
And then because of how many people were needing to leave, they, they opened that up. It's not just, we're not just trying to get Christians anymore. Now this is a full-scale res- rescue operation to get everyone out of Af- Afghanistan that wants to leave. Over the weekend, news broke that multiple planes had been prevented from taking off after the Taliban refused to grant permission for the departure. But according to Beck, it wasn't the Taliban that initially stopped the planes from exiting the country. Rather, it was the State Department that refused to grant landing clearance to the planes, preventing them from departing. The department allegedly called off the flights at the last minute, declining to approve the manifest. He added that U.S. officials went on to hand over the manifest to the Taliban. Quote, remember, they were on the plane, they were on the tarmac, they were in the seats and ready to go before State Department officials intervened and deboarded the plane. Beck explained Tuesday morning on his radio show they were told to go back into the airport and hand everything over to the Taliban. So why would they do this? First off, I'll, I'll come up with what the explanation probably is. Well, since the government's not running this, they don't know for sure everyone that's on the plane, and so it would be dangerous to let a plane take off and land at whatever airport they're going to approve with all of these people on it. That would be, in my opinion, in my assumption, is going to be the main argument, okay? Uh, now, what I heard Beck saying is that they're doing a pretty extensive research overview of all the people that are coming on the plane before they come on there. And so they're doing, they're doing everything they can to make sure the right people are getting on there, okay? What I want to know is, what other reasons would they have to stop the, the plane from leaving, like, what, what would it be? Why would you not want people to get rescued from Afghanistan? What, what potentially makes the State Department look better? What, the, what potentially makes the Biden administration look better? Well, the problem is, one thing that doesn't make them look good is someone like Glenn Beck raising a bunch of money privately and then going there and picking up the people that the government left behind. That's not something that they're going to like very much. Uh, they don't want, first off, the government doesn't like it when people are shown that you don't have to rely on the government for everything. So they first off don't like that. They also don't want to point out all of the people that they left behind because then Beck's going to bring them all back. They'll say, this is how many people we brought back. So that's actually how many people they left behind. They're not going to like all of that stuff very much. So what are the motivations behind this? It's going to be for safety. That's what it's going to be. That's that's what they're going to say. Are there other bad motivations behind this we can only speculate we don't know for sure if there are if there are really terrible motivations but if they are going according to those assumed terrible terrible motivations that's pretty it's pretty disgusting if you think about it that that for political reasons they would decide to leave people there not allow someone else to rescue them now this would actually go along with a lot of other things that the government does, as we'll talk about here pretty soon, that for political reasons, or just because it doesn't fit the list of rules that they have approved right now, that they would actually leave people there in harm's way to potentially be killed by the Taliban. I don't know. Think what you can. Think what you want to. You know, we should have left. Obviously, we needed to leave Afghanistan. Was it botched at the end of it? Some people care. Some people don't. Some people think that, well, we we did just need to pick up and get out of there. There's no way we're going to save everyone there. We need to get out because if we don't, we're just going to be stuck there forever. And then there's a lot of people, even on the libertarian side, that would still say that we botched it. We shouldn't have left people behind. We should have made sure that all the, that all the civilians got out first. Regardless, 
you should want the people to be rescued, that want to be taken out of there. You should want that for all the countries around the world if there are people that want to leave there. If we want to go charter planes and take them to Cuba and the Cuban government allows it, then we should be able to fill up a plane and bring them back. Okay? So... Joe was saying, I was just reading through some of this, they gave the manifest to the government of Afghanistan. Yeah, that's what you always do. You give the manifest to the government. Unfortunately, the government of Afghanistan is the uh, Taliban. It's a, a bit of a conflict of interest right there. It's, that's not going to make people very safe over there, and we should not want this. I want these people who want to leave to come home. And if, especially when we see someone voluntarily raising money and chartering planes to go rescue those people... Man, this is right in line with our libertarian viewpoints, and we should want this to happen. Even if the U.S. military did leave, we should want this to happen. And, of course, the government has to find some reason to get in the way of this happening. All right? Uh, you know the government also messes up other stuff. This is a, this is a story from Fee, and this happened a little bit ago. I saw, the, I saw some of the story from it, but I just saw this on Fee. And we needed to talk about how ridiculous this is. So from fee.org, and I believe it was Hannah Cox that wrote this one. Go and make sure you check out that. Did you guys see the story about rapper Kodak Black being blocked from giving air conditioning units to uh, housing projects? He's just trying to donate a bunch of air conditioning units and ends up getting in trouble for it. They end up sending send them a cease and desist unit, giving air conditioners to people who don't have them so they don't die in the heat. Yeah, obviously, the government needs to come in and stop that. Why? Why would they want to stop that? Well, let's go through the story here, just a few paragraphs. American rapper Kodak Black spent the 4th of July holiday at the Golden Acres Housing Project in Pompano Beach of Florida. He purchased 100 air conditioners worth a total of $12,500 and hand-delivered them to the residents there. As the saying goes, this is, this is Hannah writing here, no good deed goes unpunished, and Kodak's actions quickly came under fire. The housing authority sent the performing artist a cease and desist letter claiming his presence in the community caused a disturbance. So people were, there was, there was so much interest in the fact that he was there doing that, plus I believe he was live streaming and, and filming some things while he was doing it. Good PR for sure. Uh, that it caused a disturbance in the in the uh, in the housing project. They also claimed he filmed a music video while there, which his lawyer said he didn't, and they took issue with the fact that he helped install some of the units himself. Now this is the government's there to protect people, right? These people in the housing project, the government was already protecting them. You don't need someone else to come in and help them because the government's taking care of that. According to TMZ, a representative for the housing authority said that while Kodak's donation was extremely generous. There were concerns about AC installations being done properly to meet safety guidelines. So you got these two options. Yeah, installed. So plug them in. I'm assuming they're window units. So, I mean, if you want to think about a potential hazard from that, maybe you don't attach it to the window properly. It falls out and it kills someone. That'd be some really bad luck for sure. But I'm sure you can look up some records on that happening more than likely. Yeah, so that's probably happened before. Um, yeah, there, so they were, there were concerns about AC installations being done properly to meet safety guidelines. So here's what the government does. They, they're there to protect you. Obviously these are housing, these are, these are housing projects out there. Okay. And, and so you're helping people now they're already not taking good enough care, obviously dependent on, dependent on the government a little bit already. 
and uh, they're not doing a good enough job. So you're going to come out there and give people some AC units so they can have, so they can not die from a heat stroke in their apartment. And the, they're worried about the safety guidelines. So you're deciding between these two things. Um, it's really hot and people want the air conditioning units and this person's going to give them to them. And then they won't die of a, of a heat stroke, which I hear is a really big thing that's going on with all this climate change. So many people dying from heat exhaustion, heat stroke. Or we can just, uh, we just not let them do that. And then we won't have the, that percentage chance of someone being killed in a freak air conditioning accident. Which is really, th- it's right up there with COVID. Freak air conditioning accidents happens all the time. And so... This is what the government does. First off, remember the first story? They don't typically like it when you come in and point out that they're not doing a good job and that they, and they, they specifically don't like it when people with private funding or with their own money or voluntarily donated money come in and solve a problem because that kind of undercuts the entire reason for them to be able to steal your money and allocate it towards things. So they typically don't like that. And what they have are these safety guidelines that say, well, when an air conditioning is installed, it has to be up to all these different building codes and every single little thing right here has to be done step by step or it can't happen or it's too dangerous to happen. And so even though these people didn't have air conditioning and now they do, uh, it's still, it's too dangerous because of those freak air conditioning accidents that are happening all the time they're just happening all the time and here's another thing where the government's messing some stuff up we've had a conversation several we've had several conversations about price gouging now we have hurricane ida coming through there and i've been told several times not to harp on the price gouging thing because you're never going to win anyone over on it this is one that i won't give up on because i care about good free market economics and Price gouging, as I've always said before, is just supply and demand that we don't like. That's all it is. And so I don't get mad when I see price gouging, if that is a thing, because a lot of times it's not a thing. That's the market price of the item. We're always dealing with price gouging. Right now, the gas station is charging the highest price they think they can get people to pay to sell their gas. That is what they're doing. And they're looking around at all the other gas stations and they're all charging what the highest price is that they can get for it. And then something happens where uh, we don't want any gas. Maybe there's travel restrictions across the entire country. And then gas gets down to $1.80 a gallon last year or whenever it was. Guess what? They're still gouging you. They're charging the most amount of money they can get for their product. Okay, and then when a lot of people need it, well, you're still charging the most amount of money you can get for your product. And there's, you know, there's moral things you can raise about this. If you, if you hike the price up so high that no one can afford anything, but then again, if no one can afford anything, then you're not going to sell any of your products. And so you're going to have to lower the price down. That's what's going to happen. What typically happens when you set price controls on items is you end up with a shortage. Especially when you're dealing with a hurricane stricken area, it's not exactly easy to get supplies down there. No, it's not easy at all to get supplies down there. It's also not easy to keep your store open. It's not easy to decide that you're going to stay open during a hurricane. Those are all things that you don't have a, you don't have a specific right for that person to stay in their store during a hurricane and sell you stuff. Okay, so you need to give some incentive to people to stay open. You need to give incentive to people to 
to deliver supplies to a a disaster stricken area in a in a fast timely manner so people can have what they need and so this is another article while i was on fee i saw this from walter block in the aftermath of ida there have been long lines of people waiting to purchase generators fuel food water ice and all sorts of other groceries and pharmaceuticals but what is the economic significance of these large queues Anyone who has taken a course in microeconomics 101 can tell you when demand is greater than supply, or that's, this is what happened, demand is greater than supply. And what in turn does that mean? It implies that prices are too low, below the equilibrium in any case. Prices do not rise because we have anti-price gouging laws on the books. They are triggered whenever there is an emergency. Here's a quote from the Louisiana Attorney General. We don't want people or businesses to illegally take advantage of this crisis. And then from the, they put some other attorney generals. This one's from Virginia. Sadly, bad actors will take advantage of hurricanes and other natural disasters by raising prices on necessary goods to line their own products. Pockets. No one should ever have to worry about paying more for things that they need when they are also worried about keeping themselves and their families safe. Here's the attorney general from New York. New Yorkers should be on the lookout for fraudsters who use natural disasters to take advantage of consumers, said James. It is illegal for retailers or vendors to charge grossly excessive prices for essential goods and services during a state of emergency. And so this is what you actually end up with. You can either have a product that is more expensive, likely because the cost to get that product to you actually went up, or you cannot have a product. And you can have massively long lines waiting for things that aren't there. They don't exist. And so once again, there's the government choosing between those two options. And what they do is they go for the one that feels good that most people are going to agree with, which is that it's wrong for people to raise their prices when a natural disaster happens. Now, should you try to keep the price as low as possible to make sure that people can afford the things that they need? I think you should. I think the best way to solve that is to have as free of a market as possible so there are as many providers of that good or that service as there possibly are, so there's market competition for those things. But there's really good incentives that happen when the prices do go up. That is that more manufacturers can get involved, more suppliers can get involved. They see that they can make more profits on the item or they see that their expenses of getting down to that area are actually going to be covered because it's gonna take longer to drive through all the roadblocks and all the things that are going on around the hurricane disaster area. And so they see now that they can actually make the same profit that they were beforehand. They're not going to lose money doing it. And so if your goal is actually to get those products to people, then you need to let the market pricing take effect. That's what you actually need to do. Let the market pricing take effect. Let the prices go up. People will naturally only get what they need. They're not going to hoard quite as much because they're not going to buy more than what they need. And there will be more products and services available for other people. And in the long run, they will be even more available for other people because more people will be incentivized to bring those products down to those people. When you fix the prices, what you end up is with a shortage because people will hoard or they will buy things that they don't need overall, and there won't be the incentive for the suppliers to go through that disaster-stricken area to get those supplies down there. They can say, well, I'm, I can either lose money doing this, or I can make money in all the other places around the country that I'm making money at right now. Or the people that are running the stores will say, well, I'm not going to keep my store open and go work. I got stuff going on at my house. My house just got hit by this hurricane. And so I'm, I'm worried about that right now. So I'm not going to go take care of uh, all of these other people because I'm just go back here in a few weeks and charge the same price. So you want to give them a little bit of hazard pay, right? Once again, 
Price gouging is just supply and demand that we don't like. We all agree that when the supply is low and the, band, then the demand is high, that prices are going to go up. When the supply is too large and the demand is very low, that the prices are going to go down. That doesn't change in a disaster. You want to make sure you keep. Uh, you want to make sure that you keep to that principle in a disaster. I don't believe this because I that I, I hate people or I don't want them to get the things they need. I keep to this principle because I do want people to get the things that they need. I want tons of trucks coming down there with generators, all of them around the whole country. They want to get there because they can make more money. And guess what? When they flood the market with all those things, when they do finally get there and they've got too many there, the prices are going to start to go down. All right. One last thing I'm going to talk about just for a second here. And I touched a little bit on this last Friday, but what's going on in Texas with the abortion law? Of course, there's tons of debate still ongoing. And I just wanted to say a couple words on it. The main thing I, I want everyone, I, I asked a question on our Twitter and I wanted, I said, what's the libertarian stance on abortion? Now I knew the answer to that, which is that it's split down the middle. It, it depends on, are you left-leaning, right-leaning, religious, not religious? Uh, that's that's kind of going to be where the split is on the libertarians. So there is a libertarian party platform on it, but uh, actual, uh, the libertarians are, are pretty split on the issue. And so I knew I wasn't going to get a clear and concise answer. I want to see what people's arguments were for it. I am, uh, I've got the opinion that... This is not something that the government can do. I, I don't think it's something that they can control, that they can uh, actually enforce laws on. And that, can, that argument doesn't work out very well for people uh, who think that abortion is the same thing as murder. So that argument's not going to work out well. What I really want people to realize is that this is a complicated conversation. It's not as easy as, well, you don't have the right to control, say, a woman's body. That's what you're doing, controlling a woman's body. Uh, or you don't have the right to murder someone uh, or murder the child. It's a very complicated situation because there's a life and there's a person who is creating that life at the same time. I, I'm not, I've got opinions on the matter, but I, what I really want people to do is realize that this is a complicated situation, and it's not one that I think is ever going to be decided. But one argument that I don't like very much on this, because I think it's, a, it's kind of a throwaway argument that's the same as calling people racist. Say, and so you, you just want to control, when, if you're not a woman, then you don't have a say on this. And while that might make some sense it doesn't that argument doesn't fly for people who believe that abortion is murder because you wouldn't want to say well i'm i'm not this and so i can't say that murder can't happen like if you're someone who truly believes in your heart that abortion is the same thing as murder then you wouldn't say well because i'm a man and she's a woman and she's murdering someone i can't say anything about it like that's the way that you would think about that so it's just kind of a throwaway argument, in my opinion, that's it's just trying to shut down the argument. I don't know where you guys come down on it, especially the people in the live group. I don't know where everyone comes down on it. It's this whole, you're anti-women or wanting to control women. It's oversimplifying the argument. Like I said, it reminds me of just calling everyone a racist to, to get whatever you want on these policies. And it's not really beneficial. It doesn't get down to the core, the root cause of the problem here. And so I, I really don't like it when people make that, 
that argument. Of course, I'm a man and I'm white splaining and I'm white mansplaining right now. So that is that is where I would be. So and and that is that's completely right. There's there's different groups arguing totally different things. That's really what's going on. If you it it, you let's just we'll talk from the position of someone on the on the right who's against it. Are there some people who want to control people or who hate women? Sure, there's people out there that want to do that, that, that want to control women. Is that like, like the largest group of the, is that the largest portion of the population that wants to do this? Or do you think it's people who actually think that abortion is murder? Like they think it's the same, they think it's the same thing as murder. Now, when we look at other murder, like you going up to a person and killing them, we decide that we can try to stop that from happening or at least punish people who do that. And so when you use some of these other arguments with those people, they don't work because in their mind, they're, they're literally trying to stop a murder from happening and saying that, well, I'm a woman, so I get to the side that I get to murder something. <laughs> that, that argument ain't going to fly. It ain't going to work. It's not, you're not really speaking to the people that you're speaking to. You're speaking to your crowd. You're, that's your rallying cry for your protest is what it is. But that argument's not going to play with other people when you actually think that there is a murder occurring. So it, we gotta, you got to actually find ways of speaking to people that are, that are going to talk to them and not just be trying to get in some cool words when you're talking to them. Now, I don't think that the government can do it. I, re- I really don't. And I... I kind of what Todd just said the first part there like I'm against it do I think it's do I think it's wrong um yeah uh, I think morally uh, probably wrong especially in the late term stage I've said before in the podcast if I were to leave any room open for any law on abortion it would be late term at the point of whatever the point of viability is and that is changing and it's different for different people and as as our healthcare technology gets better uh, that point of viability is going to change as well. And so if it's if it is a baby that could be saved at the time that you are killing it right then, then that would be where I'd be willing to talk about laws on that because if uh, someone goes into a if someone goes into a, a hospital, if they can be saved, well, the medical professionals there have to try and save it whoever they are, they have to try and save them. And so I don't see why that wouldn't also apply for a human baby that could be saved at that time. Do I end up being more part, uh, partial on that, more biased on that? Because my brother was a couple months premature and that was back in freaking uh, 95 or something, who knows? And uh, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit biased on that because I saw that they were able to, to save him. And so why wouldn't you try to save a baby that could be saved? That's where the moral argument really comes in for me. That's where it really, really strongly becomes immoral at that time, as if, if the baby can be saved. Other than that, I don't think the government's going to be able to do anything on this because you have to play it out to its logical conclusion. And this is not me supporting abortion. I'll talk about that here in a second, but you have to play it out to its logical conclusion. So... Uh, say a, a woman at seven weeks in Texas uh, wants to have an abortion, but she can't. And so you say she can't have an abortion. Well, let's say she still doesn't want to have the baby. So she's going to go on a hunger strike for 
a month or however long it takes to starve the baby and then has a miscarriage, something like that. I mean, that's ultimately what, what you could do if you absolutely did not want to have the baby. You do something like that. I don't know how long it would take. But, uh, yeah, so what are you going to do? What, what's, your, what's your answer right then? You're going to chain the woman down and put a feeding tube in her and force her to take food until the time that she has the baby? Like that, you've got to take that all the way to its logical conclusion. You're, if you take it all the way down, you're basically saying that you're, you're going to have to restrain a woman and, and force her with some kind of feeding to make sure that she is, uh, that she's going to have the baby. And I can't go, I can't go that far with it. And since I can't go that far with it, well, uh, then I don't think it's really ever going to work. There would be some way of, uh, forcing a miscarriage, doing something like that. This is not something that the government is going to be able to solve. This is something that people need to solve. The problem that we actually need to solve, and we're always talking about um, the actual root cause of the problems, and the root cause of the problem is the unwanted pregnancy in the first place. Uh, what what point do people get to in their lives where they end up having an unwanted pregnancy? There, a lot of times, as people on the maybe poorer end of the spectrum, maybe just people who don't have real great personal responsibility, not that people who do have great personal responsibility don't slip up sometimes and have something like that happen. But um, we really need to address what it is that causes this to happen and see what we can do to solve that. Now, does that argument, does that argument uh, work for people on the right? No, because I'm talking to people that believe that abortion is murder. And when I say, well, we don't need to outlaw murder, what we need to address is why do people murder other people? And so that is what they hear when you're saying that. And I do like what Todd just said, saying that we need to stop demonizing each side and discuss when life begins. And I, that is a really important point. And I, I don't know when the life begins, but the not demonizing people, the not demonizing people is very important because you can't just assume that people on the right are just wanting to control people or that they're anti-women. They just hate women and they just want to come up with these laws to try and control what women are doing with their bodies. I would say that most of them, most people, are people who truly believe that there is a genocide occurring, that there are human beings that are being murdered, and that like any other murder that uh, if you knew that someone was about to murder someone, that it would be the government's job to stop that from happening. Is everyone who believes that correct? Is that exactly what's happening? No, I think it's much more complicated than that. But you can't just demonize people who truly think that they are stopping a murder from happening. And you also, I think, can't demonize the people on the left uh, who especially... Um, especially when it comes to rape, incest, stuff like that. You can't even demonize people for saying that, uh, who don't believe that this is a murder, who don't believe that this is a life. This whole thing is very complicated. Are those people right? I don't know. I don't actually know. But when you have two sides that, that truly believe what they believe, then they don't really need to demonize the other people. This, we talk about this, say, libertarians, capitalists, talking to people who are socialists. I've said a bunch of times, I've kind of changed a bit on the issue, but I don't hate Bernie Sanders and AOC. Like, I think that they're just uh, terrible, devilish, awful people. Maybe I've adjusted on that just a little bit as more, as more time goes on. 
but people who believe that socialism is the best way to help the most amount of people. Do I need to hate them and demonize them? We talk about how the ideas are stupid. So talk about how something that they say is stupid. Do I think that they're literally terrible people who want to kill millions of people? They want to starve them to death or bury them alive? No, I don't. I think they believe what they believe. And what I want to do is try to convince them otherwise. They might think terrible things about me, uh, but uh, I would hope that they don't. Do I? Am I a libertarian because I hate poor people and I just want people to starve to death because they don't have enough food and water and all this? No. I truly believe this is the best way to help the most amount of people and that it's the most moral philosophy because it recognizes the fact that we're all individuals and uh, we've all got individual liberty and individual rights. So it is the most moral philosophy in, in every way. But some people would demonize me as a terrible person who, who hates the, the little people. So anyway, take from that what you will. Those are just my few thoughts. I'm sorry if I offended you, and I'm sorry if I didn't offend you, because I, I don't know. I don't know which one my job is. Is it to offend people or not offend people? Yesterday, I was calling people idiots for thinking a certain thing. I was thinking back on that. I was like, uh, maybe that's a little bit harsh. Maybe that's a, uh, just a little bit harsh. But then again, we do have a whole segment called Dumb Bleep of the Week where we call people idiots all the time. Thank you all so much for hanging out today. Sorry Charlie wasn't here and you got to hear my random stream of thoughts once again. I think tomorrow is going to be a normal day. We will see whatever normal is for this podcast these days. That's what it's going to be. So thank you all so much for sticking around. Thank you to all the new listeners who are listening. Uh, we keep saying this all the time, but the numbers are still going up quite a bit right now. Maybe we need to keep Charlie off the podcast more. Who knows? But uh, thank you so much for sticking around. Make sure you guys are hanging out on all of our social media pages. And if you want to be in the private group, then you want to go to goodmorningliberty.locals.com and hang out here on the Discord chat with everyone else. If you do all of those things, we'll be right back here again tomorrow. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. <laughs>